0: The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball
1: Swing and a looper in the left center field This is going to get down for a base hit Here comes Phillips, he will score the tying run In the third goes Rosa Rosarena It's an 8-8 game and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away
0: Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays
2: have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi everybody, welcome to the program and good morning. Today we sit down with reliever Jeffrey Springs and discuss his recovery from knee surgery. Brian Anderson joins us to go over the week on by. We'll visit with minorly catching prospect Blake Hunt, Senior Director of Personnel and Pro Scouting Kevin Eibach. will discuss what the focus is this time of year and we'll chat about the Rays opponent, the Red Sox, with MLB.com's Ian Brown. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and our featured guest this week is one Jeffrey Springs. And, Jeffrey, first of all, so much has happened to you in such a short period of time. How much do you appreciate kind of where where things have gone in the last six months to a year for you?
3: Uh, Very grateful, you know, just being out here today, you know, just from the injury last year to, you know, being able to come back and pitch. It it truly is, you know, amazing, and I feel very blessed each day. It's kind of a a new perspective, I guess, so to speak, you take each day a little different now. So it's, uh, definitely a blessing.
2: I thought it would be at a perfect time to talk because this weekend, the Rays are taking on the Red Sox. You were traded from the Red Sox. You were injured against the Red Sox. It's almost like things came full circle.
3: Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of, um, obviously want to, want to forget about the injury and move on, but, um, you know, it's part of it, you know, understanding what happened. And, um, like I said, just looking forward to getting out there and, you know, pitching, um, was fortunate to be a part of the Red Sox organization, you know, even though it was very brief, but you know, any team that gives you an opportunity to put on the jersey is is very special and you know, that's you're grateful for that opportunity because I know how hard it is to get here, to stay here, you know, and to continue to play. So, any team that, you know, has given me a chance in the past is, you know, a special special place.
2: I'm guessing for you, too, there's probably greater appreciation for this than most. For fans who don't know, you were a lower-round draft pick and, what, a $1,000 bonus guy coming out of college out of App State. So I would guess the appreciation for every moment is even greater. Yeah.
3: I mean, you know, I guess statistically I shouldn't have made it. You know, I still shouldn't be here, to be honest. Just like you said, being a 30th rounder, um, senior sign, I knew that I had a very short leash. Um, just, you know, was – very honored to, to have a chance to say that I got put to play professionally and, you know, the big leagues seem so far away, you know, as it does to so many minor leaguers at the lower level. But I knew if I just, you know, got a chance that I felt like I'd make the most of it. You know, I kinda kept my head down and just tried to pitch and perform and, you know, was lucky to have some success. Um, you know, again thankful for the Texas Rangers and giving me a chance and um, you know, made a dream come true and every day since then is just trying to make the most of it because you don't know you know, when the game's going to end. Last year, could have been a, you know, my career could have been over just like that. You know, I wasn't even necessarily doing anything. I was stopping, planting my foot, something, you know, that you would do walking downstairs or anything like that. And that could have ended everything. So um, you definitely take each day because, like I said, you just you don't know when it's going to end. So it's, it's an, an honor to be here and to play. So just trying to make the most of each and every day.
2: I think that it speaks, though, to your character and your strength, how quickly you come back, how well you've come back, too, from that, but also the fact that you actually tried to actually consider playing while you had the torn ACL before you even had the surgery. What made you want to do that at that point?
3: <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Eaton was like, hey, you've torn your ACL, but you can pitch in two weeks, you know, with a brace. So it was, you know, obviously I, I've never been injured before. I've never had any major surgeries, so I was like... Hold up, back up, I did what? You know, you always think arm injury with pitching, and and when he said that there's a chance I could pitch, obviously if I can play, you know, again, going back to how how hard it is to get here and how how special it is to to play each and every day, I'm going to do anything I can to play, you know, no matter what. Tried, and it just – there were still some issues with, like, the delivery, the way that I kind of land cross-body a little bit, the outside of the knee was – just didn't feel right and come to find out there was two tears in the meniscus one on the lateral side so I guess it's a good thing I didn't because I probably would have made it a lot worse because I know if you have to clean up the meniscus along with the ACL they told me it it slows the process it kind of limits you to what you can do early so I guess as as much as it could everything worked out for the best.
2: It certainly has and at least it appears you're pitching as well as you were last year do you feel
3: pretty similar? yeah yeah I think pitching you know throwing once I was able to get cleared to get out of the brace I feel like that was the one thing that was natural you know it was one thing that I wouldn't think about I wasn't worried about what the knee was going to do it was the easiest thing if that makes any sense to to do you know the running the jumping the cutting and all that there's there's like a little bit of a, a mental block at first and you're like oh what if it does that again but pitching it's like you know that's this is easy you know I, I can do this I'm you know I've thrown my whole life no big deal it's kind of the one thing that kind of freed my mind to just hey just go play but it's yeah it's I'd say it's close enough there's still some things I'd like to work on I want to continue to build the strength that hasn't quite come back yet um, but luckily being my landing leg I don't need it 100% right you know right away I it was the push off leg that would be a different story um, so just continuing to not necessarily rehab, but continue to try to progress, you know, each day, but also manage the workload to where I can still be, you know, feel good enough on the mound to pitch.
2: And you obviously have done it well enough to this point. Last year you had your best year in the big leagues. Why do you think so? And what about this place allowed you to have the kind of success you did?
3: I think just, you know, kinda of that made a small mechanical change just, you know, from the, the preset position, but I think coming here and just You know, talking to the whole pitching department, Stan Snyder, you know, Jay Money, you know, even all the cash, everybody. It's been a very simple message of, like, we bring guys in that have good stuff. Like, you're here for a reason, and then you sit down in a bullpen that's, you know, unbelievable arms everywhere you look, and you kind of watch, and it's like, all right, they're doing it. You know, you want to be a part of that too. You want to buy in. You want to have success. You want to – because it's a winning team, you know, and you want to do your part. Um, So, I think just from a collective group, of guys that we have and the pitching staff, the, the department and how they break things down and make it so simple, but just the trust that they have in you. You know, I've, I've been put in a lot of situations last year that, you know, I've, maybe in the past I was like, there's no way, you know, I'm going to be closing a game or pitching in a high leverage spot like this. But it's like, hey, you're here to help us win. We're, we're going to use you when we need you. And I think that just can, continues to build confidence, you know, each and every time out there, you're like, they believe in me. I need to believe in myself. This stuff's good. You know, go pitch. So I think just from the, the whole, from everything, from top to bottom, I think they kind of just help you bring the best out of yourself.
2: Sounds like more the mental than the physical for you, then.
3: Uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there was some small changes in the delivery. I think you know the velo was a little bit better last year than in the years past. Understanding what my pitches do, how to you know how they play off each other, where I can go to have success, and you know some small tink- tinkering there. But yeah, a lot of it is just trusting in your ability you know you have some years that are kind of and you start to you know maybe question uh you know this isn't that good or this and that especially after bad outings which are going to happen and it's such a long season you got to learn how to you know flush it and I think finally last year even when things didn't go quite how I wanted them just hey it's on to the next one and understanding that so yeah a lot of lot mental for sure. Jeffrey
2: Springs with us on this week in race baseball and we mentioned you've been through a lot this year in a good way too you're a first-time dad. Um, what's it like for you and Bailey and your, your son Stetson? And how much has that also taken the pressure off or taken, you know, when you come home from a, a good day or a bad?
3: Uh, definitely. I mean, it, that's for sure a game changer in, in all areas that you mentioned. Um, you know, her being pregnant and us having, having him this off season helped with the rehab process just because – there was some excitement you know this it was a long rehab and there can be some long days and you just kind of get in the same old same old but you know it, it was exciting every time i come home or you know when you wake up so it kind of helped fuel me a little bit more to be like hey i need to hurry up and get back i need to get healthy you know i'm playing for more than just me and my wife now and i've always thought it was so cool when guys bring their kids through the clubhouse um from when i first debuted like and now having a son, it's like I want to play long enough to where that he can do that. Because I, I just I don't know. I've always thought it was really cool when you see him out here running around, playing catch with dad, or hitting, or whatever it is. So it's it's been it's been awesome. I mean, we're we're learning each and every day. But uh, you know, definitely um, changes your perspective on things. And when you have a bad game, you, you leave it in the clubhouse, and I think that helps. You know, helps me a lot personally. Just you go home because. You know, they they don't care. They don't care what happened that day. He's just happy to see you, and, you know, it's been awesome.
2: And as a dad, it almost sounds like it's kind of motivating, too.
3: Yeah, for sure. You no, know, I mean, it really is because, you know, like I said, I, I want him to, you know, to have everything that, you know, hopefully he wants and, you know, this game can, can help do that. But it, I think it's, it's cool once he understands what I do and, you know, if he likes baseball, great, and if not, great. But um, I think he'll like it a little bit at least at first. So, Hopefully, I can play long enough to where he's old enough to understand it and kind of watch, and we can throw and stuff like that.
2: Names always have significance. How did you guys come up with Stetson?
3: <laughs> uh, honestly, um, I don't know. We, you know, we like anybody else, went through a list of them and we narrowed it down to two, and just it was something me and my wife just kind of agreed on. We we talked about both of them for the longest time, and it was just kind of Stetson just stuck, and, you know, I feel like they say when you first see him, you kind of know if, if that he's a Stetson or not, and we felt like he was, so it kind of stuck right away. Well said.
2: You know, you are you guys have a, a lot of guys who are young dads, too, in that bullpen. You're missing one of them right now in Pete Fairbanks. so I know his wife Lydia is about to have their second. Without Pete and without Nick Anderson right now, just a little inside stuff on the bullpen. Who's the loudest guy now in that pen right now when you guys are down there?
3: Oh man, loudest when we're down there. I got to give it to JP. Uh, I think that would be a collective answer across the board. JP, he he brings energy every day. I'll give him that. Uh, it's it's every day, you know, day game, night game, long long trip or not. He uh, same guy every day. So I, kudos to him. But he's probably the loudest.
2: Is he the funniest too, or if not, who is?
3: Uh, I don't know. That one's tough because there's there's some guys that are quieter for sure, but they they have little little jokes here and there. Uh, I probably I can't I can't give him the funniest. Um, <laughs> I gotta say probably Kid or Jason Adams. They got some some good dad jokes. So they uh, lo- they're quieter, but they they have some good dad jokes for sure. So probably between one of them maybe. And is there
2: any other group that likes to play pranks or or have a little more fun than anyone else?
3: Uh no, nah, not nothing nothing crazy. No, like I said, JP is. He's probably the center of attention I guess for the most part. So we'll just we'll leave it at that.
2: How good is the chemistry though with the group? Because you do have most of the guys are back from last year or at least spent some of last year with you other than Jason Adam and Brooks Rayleigh.
3: I mean, it's great. I mean, literally everybody that seems to either come up or come over, it's, they fit right in. And I don't know if that's something the front of office does research on or what, but everybody that seems to come over, I mean, it's it's like they've been here all year. Or, you know, they've been here, we, we've known each other for years, um, which really helps because I think, you know, we, we build off each other and definitely pull really, really hard for each other's success. Um, and I think that's that's part part of our success as a whole. Everybody just compliments each other so well, from stuff wise to just you know helping, working on pitches. You know, hey, what do you got on this? What, whatever it may be, any way that anybody can help each other, and, you know, we're all we're all for it because you know we're all trying to do the same thing and win. You know, at the end of the year, so it's it's awesome. Couldn't ask for a better group. Because Stan,
2: we had Stan on last week, and he told me he said one thing that really seems to click is the group's kind of the same age. Like they're all in that twenty-eight to thirty-three area with youngish kids, Mm -hmm. and they all have kind of similar life experiences, all from different places, but all can kind of relate.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's probably definitely a big part of it. Like you said, everybody, we got a lot of, you know, young parents down there or young dads and things like that. And everybody's kind of been on a couple different teams and, you know, have kind of, you know, bounced around, so to speak. So I think that that does have a lot to do with it. So that that may be the reason why it's, it's so easy to get along with everybody. And, you know, we enjoy spending time together so it makes sitting down in the bullpen pretty easy.
2: Well, Hopefully it continues to be pretty easy and a lot of success for you going forward. Congratulations on your success to date and on being a new dad. And thanks for being with us on This Week in Race Baseball.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. That's
2: Jeffrey Springs. We'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. Joining me now, Brian Anderson from Bally Sports Sun. B.A., good morning. Thanks for joining. Good morning. Neil, there's no place I'd rather be. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> hey, very odd start to the season. Um, what do you make of it so far, two and a half-ish weeks in?
4: Uh, are you talking about just the Rays in general or, or baseball? Uh, baseball, by, by itself, for the most part, a lot of parodies. I think a lot of teams trying to get into rhythm, trying to find an identity, trying to gain some traction, I think the same can be said of the Rays. You just have not quite gotten the tires in the mud, and now and now we go. And, and that's true of most of the teams around the league. Maybe some of that has to do with the shortened spring training, so not everybody's hitting on all cylinders. But, you know, you've seen spurts of good, spurts of not so good, pitching defense base running offense all of it Mm -hmm. and so uh you know so i like i said i think that you know not at all concerned you know as far as the the rays go because you know that the talent's there and you know eventually that's going to win out
2: and you also know they're eight and seven have a chance to win this series today with McClanahan on the hill yet no yarbs no shane boz less than an inning from patino
4: yeah no i i I completely agree and you know while that's true there is a concern also because, mm-hmm. you know, when you start to think about a full major league season, 162 games, that's a lot of innings, and how in the world are the Rays going to parse out all parcel out all of those innings? You know, when you think about Shane McClanahan, 123 a season ago, how big of a jump are they going to allow him? You know, Drew Rasmussen, not many. Luis Patino, when he does come back, not many. It may work out well for him uh, because he's not going to be pitching a full season, but you, you know, you've got different you know, guys that you're just not going to stretch out that far. And so you're really going to have to piece things together and piece it well. You know, you're going to have to lean on the bullpen heavily. We've already seen the Rays have used more pitchers this season than any team uh, in Major League Baseball. So they're going to have to have a lot of depth, which they do. But uh, but yeah, there are a lot of things to be uh, encouraged about because they are going to get some really quality arms back at some point and you know once they do that lessens the load on everybody else and and hopefully they can you know do their thing
2: and I would agree with you on Patino and probably the case of Boz too if they come back in early June they're really not going to have to worry about innings limits at that no, point th-
4: you're right they they didn't this was the, with Patino it was more from from jump you know from the jump street um you know but Drew Rasmussen same mm-hmm. thing how far will you stretch him out you know McClanahan you you know Listen, this is a team with playoff World Series aspirations. So how big of a jump are you going to let McClanahan? Oh, by the way, we need him in the playoffs, too, for for a <laughs> lot of quality innings. So there will be some interesting moves made, roster moves and you know, days off or skip a start, whatever it is. Um, you know, but this is nothing that this organization is not used to because you look a season ago. The, the bullpen has been outstanding for years on end. The, the Rays always put together a very strong bullpen for a number of reasons, but they lean on them heavily. a Major League Baseball a season ago in innings pitch, probably will do the same this year. That's where the depth comes in, and that's where Eric Neander and Peter Bendix and all, all the, uh, the guys upstairs have done a great job of scouting and, and, and putting together, uh, you know, a, a pitching staff that runs very, very deep because they know they're going to need it.
2: You're correct. And so far, so good. They've parceled out the innings fairly well you look there's not a guy you look in that bullpen and you go boy he's been overloaded Mm -hmm. so
4: far yeah no question and that's kept track of I mean you know the every every pitch obviously is kept track of number of innings number of ups you know how many days in a row days off that's all going to be uh you know taken care of they're not going to overload anybody they really I, I think the only time that you would ever see the Rays overload a guy would be in October we're, you know we're listen, we're, we're run. We, there are not many mm-hmm. more games for you to rest, so we need you now. But before that, they're going to have everybody as fresh as they possi- possibly can be all season, no doubt.
2: One guy they may put a lot of work upon, and he'll gladly
4: take it. Is Wander Franco? How impressive has he been in the first two and a half weeks to you? I will say this: you know, I've been in Major League Baseball now in some capacity for thirty seasons, at least. I mean, maybe thirty one. Whatever, it's been a long time um and and i will say that that i've been around a, lo- a lot of good players i played with a lot of good players and and been on you know around a, a bunch wander franco at his age and his experience level is the most talented player mm. that i've ever been anywhere near and and it's i don't even know if it's that close it is he's special he's absolutely special and the attribute that is most impressive to me is he doesn't take a play off. He doesn't take a pitch off. He goes hard all the time. Not only is he uber-talented, but he goes hard all the time. The other night, he was on first base and it might have been in motion. A foul ball was hit. He was rounding second. He ran back to first hard. You know, I mean, when after a foul ball. He just does everything with with max effort, and you combine that with the fact that you've got a kid that, has been swinging the bat well from both sides of the plate, switch hitter. Um, he's been handling fastballs. He's been handling breaking balls. He's been handling off-speed pitches. You look at his average against those all the pitches that you're going to see from both sides of the plate, and the fact that his hands are so quick, I think that gives him an advantage. I think that he is able to see a pitch just a split second longer than most hitters because he's so technically sound in the box and his hands are so lightning quick and then I've seen him make adjustments that are next level and I'll give you the example it it blew me away because I'm as a pitcher I'm thinking along with the guy that's out on the mound so a couple of nights ago uh 95 96 mile an hour fastball kind of up and in to wander and he gets the gets the head out which that you I mean you have to have real quick hands to Mm -hmm. be able to get the barrel to a ball that's up and in to get that barrel out in front of the plate to, to hook that thing foul. And he hits a missile down the right field line, foul. Okay, so as a pitcher, I'm thinking, if that guy was that quick on that pitch up and in, soft away, and he's, I'm going to get him leaning. I'm going to get him leaning. I'm going to get soft contact. Tried to go with the backdoor breaking ball, and he stood there like a statue, let that ball travel deep into the zone, and then fired his hands on it and hit a sh- bullet to left field for a base hit and I was just I got I, it blew my mind I'm like that is next level hitting you don't see that you don't see that from most players let alone 21 year old first second time through the league that is that's next level stuff that guys aren't able to do that and he did it from one pitch to the next and that's where he because guys make adjustments week to week maybe game to game maybe at bat to at bat he makes the adjustments pitch to pitch. That's rare. It is. And uh, it's
2: why you're the best, B.A. We appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. Great stuff on Wander and the Rays, and we look forward to the broadcast what, today.
4: Was that two questions, Neil? I, did I ramble? <laughs> I think I rambled. I apologize. <laughs> you're correct. That's
2: Brian Anderson of Valley Sports Sun. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. Well, let's take a look at things on the minor league side for the Rays. And joining us, one of their talented catching prospects in AA Montgomery, off to a really good
5: start, that's Blake Hunt. Blake, thanks very much for a few minutes. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here.
2: Tell me first what your opening year was like in the Rays system after coming over from San Diego, especially having not been able to play games in 2020 due to the pandemic.
5: You know, I'd say there was a big notice. uh, A big thing that I noticed when I came over was the environment race kind of fostered here I definitely felt very comfortable coming in as the new guy and all the the new te- teammates and coaches were very welcoming um, I think on my behalf I placed a lot of expectations on my play and you know I struggled to, uh, to to meet those thankfully I had a good supporting cast around me coaches and teammates to kind of hold me up but I think this year I've been able to get back to uh, more the player that I want to be instead of someone that I'm trying to be
2: So what'd you change? Was it more the mental approach? Was it the way you prepared physically for this year? What did you do differently in the off season?
5: Same physical preparation. I think last year I was trying to be a hitter that I wasn't trying to hit for power, trying to force it at times. And instead of letting someone of my size, you know, six, four, just kind of letting that come naturally and falling into that. A lot of, a lot of that, those changes, there was a lot of swing and miss and something that I had never really seen in my game, but just kind of having the right coaches around me and and even my guys from back home who've seen me for a long time kept trying to remind me of what, you know, what type of hitter I am and who I need to be on the field.
2: So for fans who may not have seen you, how do you describe yourself now as a hitter? And how, how have you felt about the way you've started the year?
5: You know, I was always someone who took pride in not striking out and being a more contact oriented hitter per se. I know you wouldn't look at me and think that, that's what i placed an emphasis on and i hate striking out more than anything so that was just kicking my butt the whole season following me around everywhere i went and uh the new organization and trying to impress some people and you know prove them right for trading for me you know that weighed heavy on me so i had to uh, take a step back this offseason analyze and then you know treat this year as a fresh start and i'm very happy with uh with the changes i've made and hopefully i'll keep it going throughout the rest of the year.
2: From what I had heard, though, when you came over, you were uh, very stout defensively. How important was it for you not to allow one to affect the other, the offense to impact the defense?
5: Yeah, I mean, I I take a great pride in my my defensive abilities and and leading a pitching staff. And so if anything, on the contrary, I think it strengthened that because I knew, hey, I'm not contributing to to this game uh, offensively very much right now. And so I need to really hunker down and and make sure that my defense is is doing everything that I can to impact the game and, and help my staff put our best foot forward. So I'm still proud of that. That's something that I take a lot of time um, and effort, you know, practicing and and the the coaches over here were, were great with my defensive style, with knee down catching. They kind of just reinforced that and we ran with it. And so we've been, you know, trying to get better in that area every day.
2: Is there any area that you're trying to improve on the defensive side where you think you still have a fair amount of room for growth, whether it's framing or throwing or blocking, and if so, where is that?
5: Yeah, by no means do I have it all figured out. I think that I, I already came over slightly more advanced in those areas, but there's always room for improvement in uh, in the three pillars of catching. Uh, I'd say receiving, blocking, and throwing, as well as pitch calling and knowing how to manage a staff. I think for me this season, I, I didn't love my accuracy throwing last year. I know I have, I have a relatively strong arm, but I'd like to be more accurate, and that starts with footwork. So we've been hammering my footwork and transfer drills and and being a little bit more accurate around the bag.
2: You mentioned the the pillars of catching, and I know in AA they're not using it this year, but it seems like inevitably we're going to have an automatic ball strike uh, at some point. Does that put more emphasis on the pitch calling and the managing of the staff than, let's say, the framing
5: uh, of pitches? I think if we're looking forward to uh, the future in a couple of years where that's a strong possibility, I think it does. As of right now, that's not our primary focus. In fact, I would say that that doesn't normally come up in conversation around the catchers. Maybe rarely, just to say that we would love to dispute it. Just uh, as someone who likes to uh, you know, steal strikes all game long, um, I wouldn't love it. But if that is the future, it definitely places a big emphasis on pitch calling. And then, of course, you know, blocking and throwing as well. Who we may see behind the plate in a couple of years as a traditional catcher with that type of strike zone may look a little different.
2: Certainly. And I'm also curious what you do have is a pitch clock in
5: place, correct? At at that level.
2: How does that change the way you call a game and the way you manage your staff? And how have you adjusted to it?
5: You know, I'll be honest, the first inning that it was truly implemented, I believe it was last Friday, uh, things sped up on us really fast. I don't think any of us really realized how short that 14 or 18 second span was, especially when running through, you know, as a quarterback what he's running through his his options across the field. It, it definitely I'm trying not to let it change anything. I'm trying to still place an emphasis on on the priority of calling the pitch first. And if the pitch clock does you know run down, I think that we just need to call time and reset. We only get one of those as a catcher per per batter, so try to use those sparingly. I definitely think you'll see a little bit more offense coming from this because pitchers may be a little bit more rushed, which I honestly think is the intended purpose. So for the fans out there that want to see more offense, I think it's a good thing.
2: In the meantime, you're managing a pretty darn good staff. You know, Taj Bradley is in this group, Ian Seymour, Jaden Murray. What have you thought so far about the long term potential of this group and maybe the way they're throwing early
5: in the year? Um, I think uh, everyone's aware that there's a lot of big leaguers on this double A team. And, you know, that goes especially for the staff. I think uh, I, I think we definitely have the best staff in all of double A. And, yeah, just being able to watch these guys grow from year to year, from spring training till now, just a year ago. A lot of strides have been made, and and you can only dream on what the potential is for, you know, the next coming two, three years. But I definitely think there's going to be a lot of big leaguers out of the staff. And, and hopefully everyone sees that as they go dom- dominate the first half this year. And then hopefully all of them keep moving up the ranks.
2: I gave three names that probably are more well-known. Who's maybe a name that's a
5: little more under the radar that you really love this stuff or the way they pitch that you think has truly a chance? Someone who I just saw recently for the first time throw, I think uh, getting with him before his start was uh, Caleb Sampin. That was the first time I'd ever seen him throw a baseball. He'd been in rehab since I came over and his pitch mix really stood out, really stood out to me. And uh, especially for someone who'd been out of a competitive environment like that for a while. And in double-A, he came out real sharp and I think uh, he's thrown twice already. And I think they've been, they've been very sharp. And, and then out of our bullpen, I'd say a couple that stand out, uh, one of them through last night, Evan McKendry, maybe a little bit more under the radar name, but he has great stuff. He followed up Sampin and then also Trevor Brigden, both of them have electric stuff out of the bullpen.
2: And then I'm curious too, you know, with the game, the way it's changing, you know, the double-A you guys is the shifting, balance there yet. And how much does it can that help you as a hitter? Since you're a guy who does not want to strike out, do you think that's going to help you going forward?
5: Yeah. So uh they're not allowing infielders to cross over uh second base. So it's definitely visually as a batter when you're up there opening up the field a little bit, making it feel like there's more holes. You know, I, this is more traditional baseball in my sense. So you know normal hits are starting to get through and fall like they always have been our whole lives. You know, just having that that spot up the middle, if you hammer a ball right past the pitcher, just knowing there's not a guy standing there waiting for it is a great feeling. And I haven't seen a big uh, big impact on the game yet scoring-wise, but, you know, I think for more traditional baseball fans, I think it's great.
0: And,
2: you know, you touched on wanting to be more yourself this year. It would have been natural to come in and try and do too much because the Rays didn't put you on uh, 40, and there was no Rule 5 this year. Is this year – is there a bit of motivation, though, to – to, to earn that opportunity going forward?
5: You know, with falling short of all these expectations I'm, I mentioned last year, I, uh, I really had to do some self-evaluation with where my head was at mentally and the expectations that I was going to set going forward. And so, you know, with the help of our mental skill staff here and, and a couple guys outside that I hired, I've really been able to not worry about that. If, 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 I know that's a cheesy answer, but truly just putting that in the rear view and playing for today and, you know, putting my best foot forward today and not worrying about tomorrow, yesterday, what's happened has been a big key for me. It definitely took a weight off my shoulders. And, and you know what, that's going to be a byproduct of me winning today and, and having that mentality every day and, and putting a good season forward. That'll happen next off season. That'll take care of itself. If that's what's it's meant to be. You surely, when it initially happened, there was a little bit of uh, frustration, but that's human. That's natural. And so by putting that in the rear view, I've been, I'm able to put my, my best foot forward today.
2: We hear so much about Justin Sua and his help at the major league level, who on the mental skill side has helped you at the minor league level and, and what have they done to help you?
5: We have Josh Kozak and Chris Goodman down here on the, on the minor league side. Uh, Justin as well, I've, I've been able to interact with enough um, in big league camp and, and everything I can do to soak up what I, every conversation I have with him, but Chris and Josh are, uh, are great guys. They're always reaching out to us, sending us texts, sending us book suggestions, uh, motivational quotes, anything that we need. And then, you know, if we were to reach back out in return, of course, they have a whole plethora of, uh, of information that, you know, they can shoot back our way. So it's kind of, they put out feelers. And then when we reach, you know, whenever we instigate on our behalf, they, uh, they reach back out. And then also a guy I worked with this off James Reed outside, just working on changing the script in our head and, Overall, I just feel a lot better, and I'm very happy for all these people and you know all the people the Rays are putting in our lives to help us. They're, they're doing great.
2: Well, it sounds like you're on a very good path. Keep it up. We certainly appreciate some time to chat here on uh, This Week in Rays Baseball.
5: Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on.
2: And that's prospect Blake Hunt, who's hitting two eighty-six so far in the young season. Coming up on This Week in Rays Baseball, we'll hear from Kevin Eibach and what the Rays are doing on the personnel side plus Ian Brown of MLB.com and the Rays opponent the Red Sox you're listening to this week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network we continue on this week in Rays Baseball and joining us right now is Kevin Ibach, who actually got to stay home while the Rays were taking on the Cubs and the White Sox over the course of a, a week's time Kevin thanks for a few minutes
0: thanks Neil yep, I got to uh got to see the boys up here in Chicago and uh and I brought all this great Chicago weather to uh To the guys there in the clubhouse. I know Tyler Wall um, had to pack all the cold gear, and I think he blames me for a lot of it.
2: Well, you guys got through it. Um, Is it almost like a survive and advance period at this point of the year with the injuries to the starting slash bulk pitchers?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, in my opinion, I think early on in the season, I've I've always alluded to the first month or so is – Um, is the life preserver months, you know, trying to keep your head above water, feel out exactly uh, the roster that you're dealing with, because every year is a little bit different. You're always posed with injuries and challenges along the way, um, but just hoping to get the group to settle in and, um, you know, really learn how to come together as a group. And I think that's a challenge every year, regardless of of what the record looks like at the end. So um, I think coming out of here with the last, uh, the two victories, um, certainly helped in the uh, road trip on a good note
2: certainly does. This should be an interesting homestand. You know, you guys are basically able to reset the pitching staff. What types of things are you normally with your pro scouting group doing at this point of the year? And are they any different this year because of the shortened spring training from a normal season?
0: Sure. You know, that's a, that's a really good question. I this time of year is very um, active, um, just trying to feel out uh, our, our depth and our inventory. And I think what makes things very challenging in this year compared to years past is, uh, certainly the locked and the abbreviated spring training, um, the inventory of players, you're still learning about, um, you know, who's available. I think every other team's kind of in the same boat that we are and finding out where their depth and where their needs are. So just talking to other clubs right now, trying to, you know, parse through both major league and AAA rosters and see which teams might have excess players and which uh, w- which players, whether it's pitchers or position players, that we should be focusing on to address our own needs. Definitely not as many uh, free agents, releases, um, players just actively available right now as there may have been in years past because I think everybody's working through those issues on their own as well.
2: Yeah. Has there been an increase? I know the Rays have obviously had their their issues mostly on the bulk and starting pitching area with the injuries to Yarbrough, Patino, and Boz. Has there been an area where you've seen across the industry, maybe because of the shortened spring, we've had more injuries in certain places?
0: Well certainly finding out you know Durham uh, is obviously our area where we try to keep as much depth as possible um, in the pitching department with guys that are stretched out and you know at the end of spring training I think typically you you have connections with other teams that say hey this guy is not going to make our roster you know he's stretched out he's ready to provide four or five innings in that bulk role or a traditional starting role and and he's available um, you know and you kind of you know you address those needs and see where you know who's left without a chair at the table so to speak and this spring training uh, at least in my opinion i think most teams around the league have have held on to those profiles especially the length the bulk the bulk type profiles just to provide as many innings out of the shoot because as you alluded to a lot of a lot of our arms in the bullpen are not built up um, with the abbreviated spring training and that goes for every other team in baseball so um, I think that just makes, makes the bulk or traditional starters that much more of a valuable commodity in April than they than they are in a given year.
2: And generally, what guys who are minor league free agent signs that are at the minor league level are not going to have out clauses this early in the year anyway, right? Until you often May or June.
0: Correct. I, I think a lot of the when we negotiate contracts um, with our six year free agent group, a lot of those assignment or or out clauses uh, tend to happen in May June, just to just to give both sides some time to get their feet wet and get some innings under their belt before they decide, you know, which path they may want to take um, and what options are out there. So we're still a little ways away from, from those types of clauses being available. I think that we, we certainly scour the waiver wire and um you know, for as, I think we're going to see rosters go from 28 to 26 here shortly. I think you'll see an influx of players become available, you know, where we may be, in a position to acquire somebody that can help us, either in the big leagues or certainly serve as depth um, at AAA for us.
2: And you actually were able to acquire someone from a depth piece and from a major league piece in Javi Guerra. How did that go about? Because that's not usually something that I would see you guys do in April.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it was an interesting um, acquisition. It's it's an electric arm. Javi, um, someone that you know, shoot, scouting back in the day and watching him come up as a shortstop um, and then seeing how he could pick it on the dirt um, was, was fascinating. And um, you know, he was, was, a really good defender and then made the decision um, due to the lack of offensive production to try him out on the mound. So it's just a unique background. And I think um, even though he's out of options, um, you know, I think what was appealing to us is the, is the pure stuff. Uh, he can spin a breaking ball and he's obviously got a upper nineties fastball um, in his back pocket. So I think, Anytime you see a profile like that, specifically one that's a conversion player, you wonder, um, you know, I've said it time and time again, when you get guys under our pitching group uh, with Kyle and Stan, certainly at the big league level, and then, um, you know, our minor league pitching program, anytime that we can kind of get our hands on those type of ingredients, you know, I think it's a gamble worth taking. And certainly with him being out of options, it's, it's one of those situations where we have to kind of manage that at the big league level right now and try to make small adjustments and work with him on the side when he is not pitching in a game. Um, But definitely the type of ingredients, the type of arm strikes, the the slider, you know, definitely things that we see that can help us at the big league level with a little TLC from from our pitching group.
2: You're waiting right now for the opportunity to get Ryan Yarbrough back. And hopefully this week, it's going to be early June before you get Shane Boz and Luis Patino back how important is it you're, you know you're trying to find bulk, which is probably hard to find and have that depth, but also guys who can at least give you two innings because your, your staffs are going to be cut down, as you mentioned, to 13sip.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. I think that you know, just trying to trying to stretch guys out, trying to put guys slot them in what's best for them. I think we have some new, new faces in our major league bullpen. We, we have some um, players on the 40man roster um, that are down at Durham right now. And trying to, some of these guys are coming off injury. Whether it's the Colin Poche, some of these guys are new to the forty-man roster, like Calvin Faushey and you know Ralph Garza, who we um, who we acquired. So uh, I spent the first week of the season um, with the Durham Club in Nashville and just tried to get myself you know more acquainted with some of the um, some of the arms and some of the options that we have at that level. And then I spent the second week of the season up here in beautiful Chicago and you know seeing our big league club and seeing any progress or you know where everybody is coming out of spring training, having, having spent the, you know, the prior month and a half down in Florida with that group.
2: So I would guess it would be fair to characterize what you guys are doing on the pro scouting level is you got to be somewhat patient, but you also have to be somewhat aggressive this time of year.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I'm always in favor of making, uh, you know, aggressive moves, Uh, you know, the the phrase that shooters shoot, you know, trying to throw some things at the wall and see what sticks. And I, I, I really believe that in Durham that, Um, specifically as as it relates to our depth that the starting group there um, you know the pitcher the pitching staff position players that we start with at the beginning of the year often looks very different than it does at the end of the year certainly you'll have your stalwarts that that stay with the club all year and um, you know are always options to come up and help your big league team but I think Cycling through, um, you know, it, it's always talked about how much we cycle through our roster at the major league level. But I think having the flexibility to do that in Durham and and try out some guys, whether it's promoting from within or going from outside the organization to just add arms that can complement, um, you know, our major league rotation or our major league bullpen, I think that's something that's always in the forefront of our mind, especially this early in the season.
2: Kevin, good stuff. Uh, safe travels. I know you're going to be doing a fair amount of that in the near term, and we appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball.
0: Great, right Neil. Thanks for having me. And
2: that is Kevin Eibach. He is the Senior Director of Personnel and Pro Scouting for the Rays. Now joining us to discuss the Rays' opponent as the Rays and Red Sox wrap up this weekend series is Ian Brown of MLB.com. Ian has covered the Boston Red Sox for more than two decades. And Ian, very good to chat with you.
1: Great to be on with you.
2: Tell me, first of all, what you make of the first couple of weeks of the season. Obviously, it's, it's unusual as it's kind of been the last few seasons.
1: It's been kind of disjointed. You know, the Red Sox got off to a really good start. Uh, Other than getting swept by the Orioles at home last year, they then ripped off nine wins in a row right after that and got off to a really good start the first two, three months of the season. They've looked disjointed so far this year. They're not hitting, and when you're not hitting, uh, that always makes things look worse. Starting pitching's been okay. Uh, The bullpen, actually the the weakest spot of the team going into the year, that's actually been their their strong point so far. So I think that uh, this team will look a lot better once their hitters start hitting again.
2: You said at the beginning of the year the concern was the bullpen. Is the greater concern the bullpen, or maybe when Chris Sale will be ready to add to the rotation?
1: Yeah, I think the rotation is always—you know, you want that to be a strong suit of a team. And you have two guys coming back, not just Chris Elby You have James Paxton, who, two, guy, two lefties who have been around the block. Um, they can dominate a lineup when they're right. And they're really optimistic with Paxton. He's, um, he had Tommy John in, uh, like, March of 2021. And he's looking at pitching in, in June, you know, maybe, or July. And I think Sale will come back around that same time. So you put both those lefties in, in your rotation. Suddenly the glass looks a lot uh, more half-full. Uh, than half-empty when you have two guys like that.
2: So on Saturday, the Red Sox started Garrett Whitlock. Is that a temporary thing until those guys come back and then we see him return to a bullpen role, or do they long-term want to make him a starter because that's what he was in the Yankee system?
1: I think you look at the contract they just signed him to, uh, they gave him a four-year extension with two option years, and the option years are more paying him like a starter. So I think that he's going to be a starter down the road. I think right now you just don't have quite enough um, familiar names in the bullpen, so you really need him in the bullpen right now. But uh, he will start at times, like like he did this weekend, and he stretched out. They stretched him out in, in spring training, but bottom line with him is he, he dominates every time he comes out and he's kind of almost like a raised pitcher where you could use him in any part of the game and you've seen Kevin Cash do that with so many guys uh, over the years and that's what what Alex Cora is doing with, with Garrett Whitlock right now speaking of
2: Alex Cora he's not with the team both these teams are dealing with COVID issues to a yeah. degree how disruptive has that been and how disruptive do you think it's going to be over the course of this year
1: yeah, you would think that we were finally going to get rid of this, uh, and we weren't going to have another COVID season. But but here we are. The Red Sox dealt with this really well last year, but Cora was kind of the one who held it together. So I think it is tough when he when he's not there. He's a stabilizing force for this team. And they literally uh, Thursday's day game. You know they were planning on him managing that day. And then the game started. He wasn't in the dugout. He had tested negative. He took or tested positive. He took uh, two tests before Thursday's game. Both of them came back positive. So they had to pull him. Um, so hopefully he, for Alex. His symptoms are mild, at least, so hopefully he'll be there for a big series in Toronto. They have a four-gamer coming up on Monday, but he, he's he's a, a huge part of this team.
2: I wanted to add about that because you mentioned going to Toronto. Tanner Houck is pitching almost in a piggyback role here on Sunday because he's not vaccinated. Can that be disruptive? I know Alex is trying to is has said all the right things, but how challenging is that when you're going to have nine or ten games where you're going to be shorthanded in, against a really good Toronto team?
1: Yeah, I think it's a little disruptive, and I think that uh, there's got to be some disappointment in Whitla- and uh sorry Whitla- in Hauk from members of the Red Sox because most of these guys are vaccinated now. This was a, a hot button issue for the team last year. A number of key players weren't vaccinated, and now you're not off to a great start here. So you need, you know, you need uh, you, you need guys like Tanner Hauk to make their regular turn in the rotation here. So. And the interesting thing is, you know, Alex Cora has said that there's other guys who aren't going to Toronto, too. He hasn't told us who they are yet, but he's not the only unvaccinated guy on this team. We're going to find out on Monday. Sunday night or Monday, who these guys are, and you're just sort of holding your breath for the Red Sox um, or a Red Sox fan wondering how many other guys aren't vaccinated.
2: Because that was one thing that I think we all wondered at the beginning of the year. Look, Toronto has done a wonderful job the last two years basically being a nomad team, and now they have a huge home field advantage against the three teams in this division that are competing with them, and the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Rays. And we don't know how big an advantage it's going to be, but it's going to be a sizable advantage, I would think.
1: When you hear that the Yankees are fully um, vaccinated, that nobody's going to miss their series in Toronto. Now, that looks bad if you're the Red Sox because, you know, the Yankees are another team you're fighting with. I don't know quite what the race situation is or when they go to Toronto, but it doesn't look good for the Red Sox when they're going in there. Without a full allotment of players.
2: How do you size up the division? Because at one point, I think Fangrass had all four teams at like 88 and 74, which was yeah. a little bit surprising. But who do you see as the team to beat? And why? And and for Boston to win the division, what needs to go right for them?
1: Yeah, for the Red Sox, like we talked about, uh, Salem Paxton need to play big roles down the stretch. And they just need to hit like they can hit. They can do that, and the bullpen comes together, they, they get a pretty good shot. But I like Toronto. I think a lot of people do. They're kind of a, a trendy early season pick. I mean, their lineup is hard to overlook. I mean, they're just loaded. But look, the Rays always find a way. So... I actually think the Red Red Sox and Yankees are a step below um Toronto and Tampa Bay right now.
2: Where where do you see them as below? Where what's what's kind of the separator for you because um, you know, we haven't seen New York yet. We haven't seen Toronto and, and won't see them a ton. In fact, we won't really see the Red Sox a ton in the early half of the season.
1: Yeah. With the Red Sox, it's just because while the bullpen has pitched well so far, um, you know, it's we're talking about Hansel Robles and Jake Diekman and um, Matt Barnes with a 92-mile-an-hour fastball where he was throwing 97 last year. You know, are they kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors right now, so you're a little worried about the bullpen And how all the rotation will handle the first couple months of the season for the Red Sox. So that's why I put, you know, Tampa Bay is such a well-rounded team. You know, they impress me every time I I see them play. You know, they they're never going to wow you on paper, but they just play good baseball. And I think that that'll be the case again this year. And like I said, Toronto's offense that they're just completely loaded, and that's going to be hard to stop over a long season.
2: You mentioned you know they don't wow you, but Wander Franco obviously wowed (laughs) Xander Bogarts. I I was. Almost, you know, you're not surprised at things that Wander does or not shocked, but the comments from Xander Bogarts to call him an Ozzy Smith with a glove type thing and a Barry Bonds with the bat, that's like
1: rarefied, rarefied air. Yeah, I actually asked that question and I was uh, just like, what do you think of this kid? And was shocked that he gave an answer that good, but this guy is special, man. I love watching this guy play. I've been fortunate to watch him play the last two years because the Red Sox and Rays play a lot. He actually made his debut against, against the Sox, but... He's like not, nobody I've ever seen. I mean, uh, Christian Arroyo, was saying last night, he, he's the best young player he's ever seen. So this guy is just wowing people. And that, that catch he made in short left field, the guy's playing shortstop and making catches in left field. I mean, that, that was unbelievable.
2: Yeah, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Thank you. Great to be on with you. And that's MLB.com's Ian Brown. And obviously, some very high praise from Wander Franco. We heard a lot of that on the program today. We want to thank Ian. We want to thank all of our guests on the show this afternoon, including race reliever Jeffrey Springs, who's off to a very good start on the mound. He threw. Two more scoreless innings yesterday. We certainly appreciate having Brian Anderson of Bally Sports Sun and all the energy he brings to all of the broadcasts, including this one today. Uh, Blake Hunt, Rays minor league catching prospect, who's currently with the Montgomery Biscuits, as well as Kevin Eibach, who heads up player personnel for the Rays. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do so at Neil Solons. Now, next week on the program, we've got a whole lot planned for you, including... Brandon Lau. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we'll talk about his Home Runs for Hope program. We're also on next week's show going to remember the late Gene Ramirez. Uh, Gene, of course, a raised bullpen catcher for several years who passed away tragically this offseason. That and much more coming up on the program next week. Special thanks today to my producer Derek DuBose. I'm Neil Solons. We're getting you set for the Rays and the Red Sox. That's a wrap-up of a three-game series. We'll have the pregame show coming up in a moment. Thanks for being with us. You are listening to the Rays Baseball
0: Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball.
2: Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. On
0: and the Rays jump in front 4-1. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at raysbaseball.com slash radio.